Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing, more than a feeling. To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save Your life To be powered by love there we go. We are live. We just we heard live. it coming through Jeremy's computer. So welcome, everybody. Glad that you're here with us. I'm Pastor Nathan, pastor here at Elk River Lutheran. Jeremy Hallquist, intern pastor. Yeah. And we'll be getting into a more formal introduction here in just a little bit. But uh, Jeremy and I were kind of just talking a little bit about what the prophets are uh, before we got on. And if you saw the original post here on Facebook and YouTube, you saw this uh, Abraham Heschel quote who called the prophets the most disturbing people to have ever lived. So right. what does that mean to you, Jeremy? Like, what is that all about? Well, the, the context of that quote is he's really thinking about these are people who experience life very differently, that experience kind of the rawness and the emotional that side of life that comes out of these yeah. things. Um, they had kind of an awareness of what was coming in the future. Um, and so some of these prophets do these just weird odd things that kind of by today's standards would feel very uncomfortable they'd be the people yeah. you cross the other side of the street for um yeah you know, kind of that that foundation but yeah well and that's we see so like in the prophets here like we'll go through we're going to go through the list of the prophets and we'll get to that in a little bit but the, the prophets who have books in the Bible like have these prophecies that they wrote, but then there's other prophets who we hear the stories of, like we touched on Samuel, there's Elijah, Elijah, you know, and these other biblical prophets, and the way they're described is like that they're just kind of crazy, crazy looking, crazy acting, and they're kind of scary. Like whenever the prophets roll into town, there's this simultaneous like excitement, like, oh my gosh, this prophet from God is here, but also fear because you know, half the time at least or more, they're bringing a word of judgment and like holding up a mirror to people and saying, here are all the ways you're, you know, falling short and screwing up in God's eyes. And I mean, no right. one likes that. <laughs> right. And I think it's, I like that you name, you know, Elijah and Elisha, but we also like Moses is a prophet. Yeah. He essentially carries a message that says change or else. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's kind of a central theme as you're thinking about these prophetic messages. What are they trying to accomplish? Um, and really to say, you're going down a path that's not good or healthy or wise, change course now. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, essentially naming what will happen if you don't. Right. So, yeah. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Like a couple of weeks ago, we had Elk River Fest here and I was really struck. Like we hosted the family stage and so there was a juggler, a, um, a magician, and then these like fire performers. And I was kind of like struck by the fact that like the juggler obviously was a juggler the magician was the magician but they had these whole stage personas like put on like they put on a show like the juggler was not just like 
throwing things up in the air. He was making jokes, working the crowd. Like, it was this whole thing. And, and that's true of the prophetic experience, too, I think. Right. Like, their whole personas are what drew people in and made the people pay attention to them. Right. Um, and, and so you always, John the Baptist, the kind of the prophet of the New Testament, right. like, the Bible spends time talking about how he's, you know, what he's saying. The axe is at the foot of the tree, and he said some pretty, you know, pretty interesting things. But he also dressed weird, and he's out in the wilderness, and he's eating right. bugs, and like all those details are a part of the story too. And so it is with all the prophets. Like right. it's not just what they say; it's who they are and what they do, and they're weird. That's the deal. Right. I was recalling, you know, uh, a number of years ago, we saw a guy standing on the corner, you know, shouting, "The end is nigh!" Uh, yeah, with a bright purple suit with that light that had lights on it and flashiness yeah. and like. So think about that type of persona, not necessarily the message, but yeah. that type of persona in relation to what these kind of characters and individuals are like. But they have to do something to get your attention. Yeah, absolutely. And they do get attention. So, yeah. So let's maybe dive into the prophets here and um, start with. I like So there's going to be an insert in the bulletin. It's up online now if you want to go to the website and pull it up. Um, there's a description that works through these different books of the Bible that we're going to be looking at. But I think first, I really like the definition of the prophet that you put in here. Like, and maybe starting with what prophets aren't, they kind of allude to the future, but they aren't like fortune tellers, right? I mean, they're not like, you know, specifically saying this is going to happen then and then this and this and then this and this. There's elements of that. But they're really speaking truth. So here's their little definition I'll read and then let you jump in. A prophet was an individual called and equipped by God, chosen to speak a specific message to a specific community. And that's, I think, really arches through all the prophets. That's a true definition of what they do. Both the ones who wrote these books of the Bible, but also the ones who we hear stories of in other sections of the Bible. I think it's important to know, like, so I spent a lot of time kind of studying and, and wrapping this. Yeah. One of the key things I will say is all of that, I still walk around with. I have to show the visuals. <laughs> I walk around with a chart. Um, you probably can't see it online. But it yeah. says who they're talking to, when they're talking, rough timeline, kind of the message. I still can't put them together. Yeah. Um, and you'll find that in the text we talk about this major prophet, minor prophet, Nathan's got a graphic for us. Um, really, the people who are major prophets, they're just more long-winded than everybody yeah. else, right? There's no reason we call one more valuable than the other, um, other than maybe the content of the message. Uh, but it's important to know, like, if you're a concrete, sequential person, you like things in order... The Bible throws all of that out the window <laughs> at this point. Um, we're getting a story that deals with history, so David's kingdom and rise to king to a king. Um, when the kingdom is split into two, that's roughly about in the historical side where we're sitting. Um, and it's full of all these just crazy... One is talking to the northern kingdom, one is talking to the southern kingdom. One's not even talking to either one. He's talking to the Assyrians sure. who will ultimately take over yeah. um, and the Babylonians. And so there's these just kind of nuances in the story. If you get lost, it's okay. Yeah. Um, and just kind That's of fair. hang in there. Um, it's a good place to kind of get us started. Yeah, I think so too. And um, and so we've got the, the graphic. I'll put it back up because this is the list of the, of the prophets here. 
you know, broken into those two categories of major and minor profits, which again, like Jeremy said, like isn't because like, oh, actually Isaiah's way better than you know Malachi. It has to do more with length than anything. But the nature of you know, if you write you know, six times as much as the other prophets, there's probably more stuff in those that is more familiar, that is more meaningful, that does become more a part of our tradition, and that's exactly the case. And so as we're talking here today, we'll probably spend more time like on Isaiah than on Haggai, right? (laughs) Right? And and, um, because, you know, Isaiah, you know, as we'll get to it, has a lot more that'll be familiar to you all and, you know, is a part of our worship experiences and comes up in in worship services, Christmas time, because, you know, alludes to Jesus. And so anyway, there's all kinds of different connections with these prophets, some of which are, there's major connections, some are minor, some of the prophets are major, some are minor. And so uh, this is the list of the books we'll be going through if you're following along in the Bible. And uh, this is it is a section of the Bible, and you'll you'll kind of find that it just works right through sequentially in the Bible, but not chronologically in the right. Bible. And so that's where these timelines, like Jeremy was talking about, are helpful. Yeah, and depending if you've got a good study Bible, they'll kind of help you navigate roughly what years and all that stuff. So if you want to go deeper, you know, dig in. Um, I have a Jewish study Bible that I use uh, when I deal with prophets yeah. because they deal with it from a Jewish lens, and so. Um, you know, there's some other resources out there. If you're interested, let us know. Yeah. Um, the other thing we should say, if you've got questions or you're joining us online, leave those questions in the comments because we do know we're going to miss some things um, and it can be really confusing. So jump in with your questions. We'd love to have them. Yes, I like that. So um, I'm going to take the graphic away and let's start with uh, Isaiah, shall we? Um, shall. Sounds good. So what do we know about Isaiah? He said a lot. We know yeah. that much. Right. Yeah, he's kind of predicting um, the kingdom of Judah. This is where I need help. Northern. Yeah. Judah's northern, right? South. South. Okay, see? Yeah. We're going to mess this up already. Um, kind of impending, that you know, preaching of impending yeah. doom, that destruction will come, um, and is really speaking out against idolatry and uh, licentiousness, greed, apathy, all of these things that yeah. sort of take away from the promise Um, these people aren't living the way Moses had invited them to and so Isaiah really speaks out against it and says hey if you don't change reality is you'll be destroyed Um, but wait there's hope Yeah, Um, and that's where we get our kind of famous Christmas messages and things like that yeah, you know, I think as, as I was thinking about Isaiah, one of the things I, I thought of was Handel's Messiah. Many of you will be probably familiar with Handel's Messiah. That's often at least sections of it played at Christmas. And we've actually sung the Hallelujah Chorus, which is one of the most famous pieces from Handel's Messiah, um, at Easter time as well. But, uh, like, there's, there's some... Uh, a lot of sections of Isaiah make up some of the pieces from Handel as they're talking about the coming Messiah because as we read Isaiah through the lens of Jesus coming we hear some of these things that that all of a sudden sound pretty familiar to who we know Jesus to be and so I'll read just a little bit of a verse here and I'm going to both like kind of I'm reading from the NRSV but the words of Handel are more uh, in my mind Um, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, some of you may I didn't sing the chorus there, uh, but mm-hmm. you maybe hear the, the melody in your uh, in those words. That's from Isaiah nine. Um, you know, chapter uh, chapter six, or verse six, chapter nine, verse six. You know, and and becomes exactly those words that are part of Handel's Messiah. You know, predicting the coming of a Messiah. And so, in the context of this kind of you know desperate time for the people of Israel, this is a a promised word of hope. And uh, what did that promise of hope and Messiah mean? Was it getting back into the land from you know the exile, and was it reestablishing the kingdom? You know, or was it Jesus, which would ultimately come? I, I think at the time of this writing, there was probably some question about that, um, and there's unknown. A, there's a line in, in this text in the Messiah: "The government shall be upon their shoulders," mm-hmm. and often it feels really out of place. If yeah. you kind of listen to the text, it's all about counselor and all these sort of uh, supportive roles for people who yeah. are kind of without. But that line is very out of place. Um, it's important to note Isaiah's writing with the backdrop of foreign invaders coming. Yeah. And so he's he's essentially saying we don't have to worry about these things in this context because God's plan, God's God's hope for our future is bigger than these foreign invaders and what will happen with our destruction if we don't change. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of gives us a little more framework for Isaiah's text. And so, because Isaiah was definitely not written with Jesus in mind, maybe with a Messiah in mind, but not Jesus, you know, I mean, like, as we know Jesus. And so, then when we go back and read some of those sections, like, uh, section, chapter, really starts 42, or 52, but 53 also, is this whole section called, you know, that often gets called the suffering servant. Mm -hmm. And so, I'll read a couple verses from this, too, because I think this we read with ears of Jesus as well um, but this is very different than you know and we often talk about that at Christmas time that you know this idea of a Messiah coming in in all powerful and ruling being the government doesn't really fit with the Jesus story as we know it but then you hear these verses from Isaiah which are read you know Holy Week and you know um, kind of Good Friday kind of times because it tells a little different story of the Messiah and this suffering servant. Um, Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. <laughs> you know, when Jesus was crucified and his, those early followers started looking to try to make sense of this, Isaiah was one of the places they went. This prophet, prophetic text that had given hope to the people for generations, they went there and they found these verses that all of a sudden wow, this can kind of help make sense of why was the Christ, the Messiah, crucified? And, um, and they realized that th- there is this tradition of suffering servant in their own tradition. And it gives new meaning and power to this event that had happened. Yeah, and I think one of the, the things that I would kind of illustrate there too is that um, while hope is his promise, mm-hmm. 
it doesn't negate the reality that we live in suffering and that we yeah. live in hurt but that hope is the thing we, we see looking forward right um, and so it doesn't take away the reality that life will be tough and, yeah. and he just kind of names it in a way that's comfortable yet very uncomfortable oh yeah yep you know, and so there's so much more in Isaiah. You know, you know, kind of this becomes kind of a theme. But Isaiah is is a great section of the Bible to read and to, you know, even if you Googled great Bible verses in Isaiah, you would find some great stuff. Um, right. You know, on eagles' wings, you know, you shall bear you up on eagles' wings. That comes from Isaiah. Um, like there's so so many familiar verses and passages that come from Isaiah. That I would encourage you to. Check yeah. it out. And I think, you know, the foretelling, another one I'd lift up right away here is that Isaiah's foretelling that Judah would be destroyed, Jerusalem would be destroyed. Sure. And yet out of the stub of Jesse, so the line of David, mm-hmm. comes this hopeful promise of Jesus that, yeah. that we kind of, we see from this side of the, the picture. Right. Um, but imagine hearing that in that time without that hopeful promise. Yeah. You know, that you may be cut off, but you're not forgotten. Right. Anything else on Isaiah? We could go for days. I know Isaiah, we could, but... but we got a lot of other books of the Bible. We're only one in. <laughs> but it's a big one, you know, and, and that's, you know, I think we'll say more, have said more about Isaiah than we probably will about some of these other ones because, you know, Isaiah, there is so much there on its own in its own time. And then you tie in the Jesus connections, and there's just a lot, <laughs> a lot that's there. Yeah. And so we land on. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. The next yeah. one in sequential order, not chronological order. Right. Um, Jeremiah is just kind of a fascinating character, um, often known as the sorrowful or the weeping prophet. Mm-hmm. Um, everything he does is kind of shrouded in this doom and gloom, um, yeah. minus some hopeful things. We'll a little bit, yeah. Um, and yet, you know, there's this kind of promise that, um, warning that if we don't turn back from God, that you will see destruction of Judah. Um, so it kind of follows that Isaiah timeline. Um, and essentially what he's calling out is hypocrisy of religious leaders, uh, mainly what's happening within the church and the church's institution, which should be leading people to this kind of covenant promise to God, yeah. and it's not. Right. Um, and so he just essentially says, change or else. Yeah. Um, again, you're going to hear me say that a lot today. Um yeah, he's, so, yeah. just, he's pointing out hard truths, you know, and it's not what the people want to hear or want to see, um, but that, you know, there's always that balance in, I think, life and faith that sometimes bad things just happen, and sometimes bad things happen as a result of our actions. <laughs> like, we both control our destiny, and we don't control our destiny, and right. and that, you know, and you see that in, in Jeremiah, that in all these prophets, where it's like, the people think, well... What does this guy know? He I, like I'm in control. I'm doing great. I, I don't I don't care what they say. And then you know, destruction comes. And yeah, well, in realizing the time, right? These the people are affluent. They're living a grand life. Life is easy. Yeah. When life is easy, I'm not going to listen to a guy that says you know it's all going to end quickly. Right. Well, let's just be honest. Yeah. Uh, and so there's this kind of tension in these stories of what people are experiencing versus the reality that they're foretelling. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, this is, you know, 586, Jerusalem is sacked, the temple is destroyed. Um, so the thing that he was trying to, to hold in building up this temple, religious leaders, uh, to be held to a standard, are ultimately wiped out. Yeah. Um, and essentially, the people of God are carried off. And so, 
that's not a great ending right no, yeah right. but you know and then I think right in the middle of it is one of the verses I wanted to pull out of Jeremiah is you know Jeremiah 29 11 uh, make a note on this one maybe because it's, it's a great one that you know even in the midst of this really hard message for the people and the destruction that will come is this beautiful promise of hope that people have you know been drawn to a lot and I think it is almost more meaningful when you know that it's in the context of some really hard truths and some you know you know downfall that uh, verse 11 chapter 29 verse 11 says for surely I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope that's good yeah, I think before I go any further, you need to read the next line yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Then when you call upon me and come to pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations in all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So again, this sense of like turning, turning the world upside down, turning these attitudes back to um, holding up to the messianic, or not messianic, the mosaic, I can't say the word. Mosaic, yeah. There you go. Uh, promise essentially that we live in that covenant relationship with God. Um, yeah, and it's all of that. God's word of promise is still kind of intertwined with this word of, you know, change or else. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of hardship, and that's what we really see in the in the next book, Jeremiah uh, two, right? First Jeremiah, second Jeremiah. They're not really called that, um, but the next book uh, in this section is Lamentations, right. which is. Uh, a different kind of book in that it is accredited to Jeremiah, but it's it's not really written like the other prophets so much. You know, I kind of said earlier in time that I think it could be lumped into wisdom literature as well, or even worship, because it is. It, I mean, poetry uh, primarily, but a very specific genre of poetry and um, and about a specific topic about that you know destruction of Jerusalem that happened in you know 586 BC right. um, and and so it's this like really sorrowful book about right. you know decrying and you know mourning all that has been lost yeah and essentially gives God's people permission to name the stuff to name their captivity their destruction yeah. how life used to be um, and it's essentially this hopeful, promise of turning back to God yeah. uh, but it does it through our tears and I think that's kind of one of those unique uh, perspectives on that yeah and I think there's you know words that are relatable for if you're really going through something hard and that there's you know the, the very fact that there's a whole book of the Bible decrying and, and essentially complaining about how hard and terrible life is I think is good because I think we've all felt that you know we've all been there mm-hmm. And, um, and and we're not alone in that, but actually, there's that's biblical. Right. <laughs> it's a biblical feeling, and that's okay. Right. Yeah. Anything else for lamentations? Yeah, you, one of the verses you had, had, had named here from the beginning, one one in Lamentations, is how lonely sits the city that was full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a prince, uh, princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. Uh, 
it's just life has gone from being really great to really terrible and that's lamentation sits in that place of just life is hard yep yeah i think it moves us into ezekiel though i think we can it's a good book it's worth reading (laughs) it's worth checking out yeah um and thinking about sort of this when you're sitting in that place of exile um, Ezekiel is among those who have been exiled to Babylon. Mm-hmm. And so knowing his kind of place in the story, he's hearing these sort of promises in Lamentations and really kind of saying his own message. Um, and so thinking about he's kind of in line with this Jeremiah story. So these prophets parallel each other quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and it's really kind of the emphasis is, again, this defiling the temple um, that the land has been defiled, that Jerusalem, this holy city, has been destroyed, um, and thinking about this idea of being led into this destruction. Sure. Why are God's people doing the things they're doing? Um, yeah. And continuing to ask the question, God, where are you in this? I think that becomes part of his kind of overarching story. Right. Have you heard that Ezekiel... Uh was abducted by aliens or met aliens? I have not heard this one. Do <laughs> <laughs> I want to know? Um, if you're the kind of person who watches uh, like weird shows on the History Channel, uh, you, you've maybe heard that version of Ezekiel. Um, that the beginning of Ezekiel chapter one. You know, you, you, you didn't I, write, you didn't cover this I, in I, your Gender no, Rev class. No, left me out on this. One. Um, no, so the first section of Ezekiel, he has this vision of the chariot. It's called and. Um, and different people, you know, in more modern history have kind of pointed out the fact that, like, it, it kind of feels like it sounds like one of those UFO kind of experiences and descriptions because there is some real oddities that if you think about it in the context of even modern technology and spacecraft and stuff, you start to think, is that what he's describing here? I'll read a few verses. This is such a random tangent. It's probably not worth our time. But... Um, but but really, we have others watching. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you uh, came to hear about aliens in the Bible, um, this this might be what it is. Um, but I'll just read a few verses, and it really like you know I kind of like just kind of laugh at that. But then you read, it and it's like, well, well you know, it's, it, he experienced something. And so here's what it says. He says, as I look, and so this is the prophet Ezekiel describing this vision that he had. Um, As I looked, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire crashing forth continually, and in the middle of the fire, something like a gleaming amber. In the middle of it was was something like four living creatures. This was their appearance. They were a human form. Each Each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like like, uh, burnished bronze. Under their wings, on the four sides were human hands, and the four had uh, faces and their wings thus. And anyway, it kind of goes into like that. They kind of their faces kind of actually looked like lions. They you know all this kind of stuff. And um, anyway, I'll skip ahead a little bit. Each moved straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they went. 
uh, without turning as they went. So they're kind of like just floating, you know, more than walking. Uh, In the middle of the living creatures was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches moving to and fro, uh, something the living moving to and fro among the living creatures the fire was bright and lightning issued from the fire the living creatures darted to and fro like a flash of lightning anyways kind of sounds like he's describing flashlights or spotlights Mm -hmm. and stuff right so anyway maybe it's time travelers maybe it's aliens but uh ezekiel experienced something weird so right and so this (laughs) i'm glad you brought this text will appear in revelation too yeah um, and we'll pull that connection back in now that you've mentioned our ancient aliens. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and so it is kind of this, you know, that is one you know way that this part of the book of Ezekiel has been used. Because there's more. It goes on about more of these, like describing kind of this chariot, which um, is really described not like a chariot at all. It sounds more like a spaceship than, <laughs> than a chariot. So um, people who are, have looked for aliens in the Bible have found them here. Uh, if that's what you're looking for. So. I can see why that happens. Yeah, but isn't it? You know, anyway, you can kind of go look and see for yourselves. It talks about like shining crystals. And, I mean, there, there's some interesting stuff. In there. I remember when we talked about the weird things prophets did in order to get your attention? Yeah. Case in point, they brought aliens into the story. Right, exactly. You know, and, and um, it, it's sure an attention getter. And that's what the book starts with. It starts with this like seemingly you know all these seemingly random details about this appearance and then gets into all the stuff you were talking about like that that firmly relates to the life experience of the people and so um yeah so take that for what it's worth ezekiel and aliens and uh yet this uh message to god's people that you know in the return of the land of israel it's all there so if you just joined us and you're feeling slightly confused (laughs) Go back and watch it. We'll Welcome. You. Yeah, we're talking about <laughs> aliens today here on Bible Breakdown. Yeah, and that leads us into, I'm going to keep us moving forward. Here we got to. We got to. Right. Yep. Uh, Daniel is one of the exiles who's essentially brought into the king's court, King Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Um, who is worshiping a another god. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Daniel's faith is really put to the test of these kind of big questions of what... Yeah. You know, what do we make of this? How do we handle this stuff? Um, and Daniel really has these kind of interesting, um, essentially, approaches to holding his faith because God has been faithful. That's this kind of hopeful promise yeah. for us. Um, but he does it with these stories that are almost apocalyptic, thinking about yep. the end and, you know, heaven on earth and all of these sort of this kind of verbiage that we get sometimes tangled up in with theology today. Yeah, absolutely. He shares some visions as well. And Daniel's also written a little more like like storytelling. We're going to talk about Jonah in a little bit, which is all story basically, you know, mm-hmm. and, and less like, you know, prophetic, like hand this book down from heaven. Here's my, you know, prophecy. Um, where Daniel, you do get the story of Daniel in the lion's den, um, the story of him being cast into the lion's den, but then protected. And so he's not devoured by the lions. There's like camp songs written about it. <laughs> um, the appearance of God in the fiery furnace. Yeah. Um, you know, those kind of interesting correlations. What is what is Daniel's faith translating to for this king and the people? And yeah. this ultimately leads to some of their... Uh, further release as they think about what does it mean to be freed from the from captivity. Yeah, and so Daniel um, is you know 
has a message similar to the other prophets, but is a book that's written and told in a very different way than the other prophets because there are these storied elements that, that help to tell the story. And it's much more palatable as someone who would be hearing this Mm -hmm. because these prophets are not writing this down. This comes at a later date, but they're things who are spoken in public um, and who would be kind of a listening ear as a passerby. So what do you hear? What do you grab? Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the questions I ask if you're thinking about the weekly reading. Is this freedom and how do these parallel today's stories? Yeah. Um, How do they kind of tie us into who we are? Mm Mm-hmm. Anything else for Daniel? Like no, I, said, I, I think Daniel you know, falls on that more readable um, category as well because, one, he's got some real weird stuff. You know, if you were looking for aliens in Daniel, you might find some, you know, some alien-type things. I mean, because there are these visions and the, you know, that, again, kind of start to sound somewhat like Revelation as well as these you know, visions that, you know, of the four beasts. But then there's also these stories of Daniel and the lion's den. It's kind of a kid's you know, Sunday school story, too. Um, but th- there is a little more of a narrative than, than like, say, Isaiah, who isn't doing much storytelling, but is, is prophetically speaking more. Right. There's naming a lot of these kind of realities. Yeah. And then we get kind of from the storied version of Daniel into Hosea. I'm going to keep us moving. Yep, let's um, keep it. Go Hosea on. is kind of an interesting one to read. Um, and I, I tend to teach this one a little bit more than some of the other prophetic yeah. books. Um, prophets do crazy things. This is a great example of what on earth would you do? Why would you do this? It was mm-hmm. kind of odd. Um, Hosea marries essentially a prostitute who has multiple children from multiple men. Um, She's labeled a promiscuous woman, a harlot, a whore. Yeah, essentially, right. Yep. And I think this kind of like take that into consideration to do that as someone who's speaking the word of God would have been blasphemy in a lot of accounts. Right. Um, and Hosea uses it to teach um, kind of a very important point. You know, if, if I can be faithful to someone who is unfaithful, yeah. then how, how does God think about God's people who are very unfaithful? Right. Um, and so he uses this kind of weird, crazy illustration. Um, yeah. I mean, and, he uses his life as the illustration right. of the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel towards God, and yet God's continuing faithfulness. Like, he marries a prostitute to, like show what that what it's like for God to be in relationship with God's people. Right. Like that's wild. And I think it's important to note, like pointing out for people on the outside religious leaders who would say, you can't do that. Oh, purity has all these things. Relationship. Right. Yes. And Jose uses that to say, if I can remain faithful, how does God remain faithful yeah. to you, you people of Israel mm-hmm. who are doing the exact same thing. Right. Um, essentially get over yourselves. <laughs> um and this kind of interesting, you know, way to tell this uh, this hopefulness of God yeah. that despite this, this is what God has has made the promise for, and this is where I'm held into this story. Yeah, yeah. and it's interesting because I think you know the, of course, the, the, there were these kind of purity expectations and such, but like, he was a prophet. Like, like who is going to tell the prophet that you're going against God's? God's wishes and even like you think about how the Bible came together in the story of uh, Hosea and and ultimately the book of the Bible of Hosea at different places along the way if people wanted to they could have got done away with that like that could have been rejected it could have been put away and let's not put this part in the Bible because it's it's absurd you know it's it's offensive and or whatnot but 
there was value in that illustration of his life so much so that they kept it and that right. it's maintained and it's still in the Bible. Right. And even though you'll be destroyed, your reputation will be ruined. Yeah. That God will restore you through that relationship. I mean, that's how Hosea really ends. Right. Because people understood and saw that promise of hope. They saw the, the mirror being held up and like, oh, okay, we're the unfaithful spouse. <laughs> that's not great. Right. But they also saw the promise and the hopefulness of God remaining faithful. Like, God's faithful. You might not be, but God's faithful. And that's right. good news. Right. Yeah. yeah. Joel. Joel. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think um, this is kind of another one that uses this sort of foretelling, foreshadowing of a, a swarm of locusts. Um, essentially that when we put our faith in leaders, we're not always given the promise that they uh, leave into the story, but rather that, that God's kind of faithful promise remains. It's consistent. Um, and so it's kind of at this kind of weird and unique way of telling the story as well Um, essentially because we're unfaithful we lose that relationship we lose that covenant promise Um, and God's work is really to say turn from your ways repent and Joel's focus I think is really interesting because it's about God doesn't want to destroy you I mean take that into very strong consideration it's your actions that will lead you in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if God doesn't want to destroy you, repenting, turning back to God is the way that we restore us as people. Yeah. Uh, I like so. that because I think it does... The Bible's not consistent in the way when it describes God's motivations and feelings. And right. we can say that's because, oh, God's erratic and God changes God's mind all the time. Or we can point to the fact that there were people writing these words who had different feelings about and experiences of God and wrote about it differently. And so that's, you know, God's motivations aren't always consistent through through the Bible. And and you know, I think that's Jesus exemplifies that in that he goes like his message of God's grace and love is pretty. It sounds different than what's laid out in the prophets and some of the other parts of the Old Testament, and yet like this part of the message of Joel of God's motivation that God doesn't want the people to be punished. God doesn't want any of this to come to be um, but that you know, we do live in a world that where actions do have consequences and yet God is going to be about the business of restoring God's people. That's right. a great message of hope and promise. Right. And I think it's about the sense of a unified people are hard to conquer. Mm-hmm. The divided people, people who sure. hold their own selfishness yeah. Um, come up against that and are easy, easily defeated. Yeah. Um, I think that's why we play team sports, right? Yeah. A team is better than individuals. Yeah. Amos. Yeah. You know, um, we're shifting gears quick here and in, in spending some time. But if you're looking and you're like, oh, gosh, I thought these were about 45 minutes and we're reaching the end. Um, the final minor prophets are pretty minor. And we're going to spend pretty minor time on them. But a few of these last uh, ones in this section, you know, Amos... Uh, didn't call himself a prophet so he that makes him an interesting prophet he was a farmer instead and and yet really speaks about the importance of of justice that that verse that he's kind of most um most famous for in in my mind in my book is amos 5 24 which you would highlight in the notes here that you know let justice roll down like waters and righteousness and ever flowing stream it's a call to justice for people 
Amos will make our billionaires very uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, speaks very, very much against um, all who make themselves powerful yeah. at the expense of others. Um, and he, he goes to say, this isn't who we are called to be and who, who God calls us to be. Yeah. Um, and so we let justice, the thing of equity, be the, the central focus of who we are. Yeah. And, you know, essentially, like, the, the way you have the note written here, you know, that that, that kind of... Um, that kind of oppression of the poor and, and all these you know excesses will lead people into being taken into slavery, destroyed in the royal house, fallen by sword. You know um, mm-hmm. that 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 path leads to destruction, not to the glorious celebration of stuff and power that that is maybe the current reality. Right. Sounds very similar. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, Obadiah. Uh, shortest book in the Old Testament. It's only twenty-one uh, verses long, yeah. so it's a good kind of kind of fun place to start in the prophets. It's a good one to do. Yeah. So if you want to read a whole book of the Bible, yep. And if you know the story of Jacob and Esau, the brothers who steal the blessing, this is Obadiah's kind of word of warning. Mm-hmm. Um, one celebrates the destruction of the other, and yet says, "Well, why are you celebrating your next on the list?" Yeah. Um, and, and Obadiah really sort of lays claim to. Your pride will be your downfall. Um, yeah. and so it's, a, it's an interesting book to read. Yeah. Um, and again, this idea of repentance and turning. You're going to hear that a lot. Yeah. Including in Jonah, uh, which, again, if you want to talk about some of the prophets being a little different, Jonah's the weirdest prophet of all, for sure. It's kind of a standalone, uh, practically written as a comedy, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and, and told as a comedy through through history the the reluctant prophet like you have this prophet who doesn't want to be a prophet he you know when god tells him to go and warn the people of nineveh of their destruction he's like oh that sounds like a bad idea you know i don't want to be a prophet so he jumps on a ship goes the other way storm comes he finally admits that he's the cause of the storm they throw him over he gets swallowed by a whale just like that guy in the news a few weeks ago um and uh, only he lives there for more than a few minutes, but uh, for days, and uh, ultimately repents and goes to Nineveh. And, you know, the, the story of the whale and the big fish is often the part of the Jonah story that, that is kind of told to kids, and it's, you know, the part we, you know, think about. But I think I love the part when he goes to Nineveh to tell the people that they're going to be destroyed finally. And lo and behold, they repent. Like he goes up to the mountaintop to watch them be destroyed, kind of thinking like, <laughs> we'll see this. And he's like actually kind of rooting for their destruction. And then God has mercy on them. And his reaction is, God, dang it. I knew that you would have mercy on these yahoos. Like, of course you would. God of mercy and grace. You're going to, you know, let them be spared. I mean, he was telling them, change your ways and you'll be spared. And yet he was hoping that they'd be destroyed. Like he wanted to see it. And um, and God lets him kind of wallow in his, you know, vengeance and like wish for destruction on people. He, you know, there's even this element of the story where he sits under a, a tree uh, for some shade and God sends a worm to eat the tree so that the tree dies. And so then he's in the hot sun again. And so he's kind of in his own misery uh, in his own misery of wishing that the people had been destroyed. I mean, there's such a human component. It's so relatable <laughs> that, like, it's hard to relate to the lives of a lot of the prophets. But I think Jonah, the reluctant prophet, 
is a little more relatable for all of us, I think. <laughs> At least myself. I can speak for myself. It's much more palatable. I mean, yeah. It is a human story. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, I think we all have a little bit of Jonah in us where we are, are all too quick to turn away from doing what we know is right, where we're all too you know, quick to look for a way out or all too quick to root for the destruction of someone we don't like. I mean, right. none of us want to admit that that's in us, but it creeps out sometimes and, and right. it just lives there. And, and um, ultimately the story is a story of God's grace and mercy for the people of Nineveh. But it's also, uh, you know, kind of almost pointing the finger and laughing at, like, how crazy it is that we are all these reluctant prophets who right. are, you know, <laughs> even the prophets can be pretty foolish. Right. It's important to note, too, that Nineveh is saved for now. For now, yeah. For now. So let's take that into consideration. Yeah. Um, and it leads us kind of wondering, you know, what is this pattern and cycle that happens in these yeah. um, these prophetic stories? Yeah. Um, and it leads us then into Micah. Yeah, and this is the text that we're going to be reading a section from uh, Micah uh, 6. Uh, like verse 8 is the kind of one of the famous verses from Micah. Uh, he has told you, O mortals, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love for mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And so uh, that's this verse in Micah, but there's a whole lot more going on in Micah too, including words of, of judgment that come along with it. Right, and thinking about the corruption of court systems, um, the sort of treatment of the poor, I mean, yeah. he's, he's naming all these social injustices that he's witnessing and seeing and saying, mm-hmm. wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't how we live in that covenant partnership with one, one another. Right. Um, we, you know, essentially we serve the God we don't see by serving the neighbor we do. And yeah. he really sort of probes at these questions. And so ultimately there is that, that kind of promise of that these ways are ways of destruction and there will mm-hmm. be destruction coming. And I think it's kind of, you know, vague in some of these prophets, like is God causing this destruction of the people or are these the natural consequences of living in such a way? Right. And sometimes that they're attributed to God, sometimes they're not. And I think that's probably fair to how we experience life and God in our own lives. And even to name, you know, even though you will be destroyed, there is a messianic deliverer ultimately yeah. who will bring the, the the house of David to greater heights than it could have been on its own. Yeah. Um, and that's that, again, foretelling of Jesus. Yeah. All right. Rapid fire for the last six, which I don't have anything hugely profound to say about really any of them. <laughs> uh, Nahum uh, just predicts and kind of foretells foreshadows the destruction of Nineveh Mm -hmm. Um, so this is where that for now thing comes in Um, and just kind of remembering this idea of what led to Nineveh's destruction Nahum will ultimately deal with it yeah Um, and Habakkuk I'm going to fly through some of these. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'll chime in if I have anything to add. (laughs) Habakkuk has this kind of interesting dialogue between the prophet and God. And essentially, he argues with God, um, if God is good, why is the world so unjust? I mean, this sort of, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Like, you know, wrestling with these deeply philosophical questions. And it gives a real succinct, definite answer, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the prophets leads, leave us hanging. Yeah. Kind of let us wonder aloud. Um, and the kind of ultimate end in this conversation is really um, 
Habakkuk is is led to understand that creation and God's story is way bigger than this moment in time. Yeah. And so what Habakkuk is led into is this promise that uh, God's kingdom will be accepted universally. So thinking about this big picture uh, expansion of Christianity. Yeah. Um, who is Jesus to the world rather than this individual moment in time? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I got on that one. Um, Zephaniah. Got any yeah. wisdom on Zephaniah? You want me to fire at this one too? Go ahead. You know, I'm kind of looking at your notes here anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Zephaniah is one of those that talks about is often used in when we think about the foretelling or uh, thinking about end times the day of the Lord is here Um, and thinking about this idea of judgment again against Judah um, and so really kind of predicting the fall of the Babylonians that will also come Mm -hmm. Um, so these people who led God's people into slavery ultimately will meet their end so yeah. A little bit more foreshadowing of what, what is to come. Yeah. Um, but also that God's going to continue to bless God's people, even though it doesn't feel like it right now. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Haggai uh, thinks about the world post-exile. Yeah. Um, and so really thinking about the return, the reality is God's people return to Jerusalem and do the same yeah, um, and Haggai says, "Wait a minute, we've seen this before. We know what's happening. Repent, change your ways. Think about your religious practices as being honoring to God's covenant, yeah. um, and um, really ends with a word of blessing for God's people who are rebuilding temple in a time yeah. of very huge uncertainty, mm-hmm. um, and kind of lands there. Um, and then Zechariah, as we end in this, there's two books left here. We're almost done." Um, is really thinking about the people as they return to Jerusalem and really um, Zechariah asks the question uh, one, Zechariah 1 verse 12 how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and the towns of Judah which you have been angry with those 70 years um, so thinking about these are people who are sitting at the cusp of where God's promise is being really lived into and the reality that they're still stuck in what they've experienced before. Yeah. Um, so how long, will Lord? I think this lamenting question becomes part of his story. Yeah. And Malachi. Malachi, we get to the last book of the Old Testament, and so we're uh, reaching the end of, of that whole half of the Bible, uh, or more, depending on how you're counting it. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, yeah, and so... Um, yeah, Malachi calls out some of the bad things that are happening, like so many of the prophets, including sorcerers. So there's magicians in Malachi. Uh, and, um, but it, it is, you know, like you like you say in the notes that will go in the bulletin here, which, again, we really encourage you to show up on Sunday and get a paper bulletin or check out online and, and find these notes that Jeremy's put together because I think they're really good, um, that, you know, it ultimately is about this relationship with God. Like, where where is the relationship with God left in the midst of all of these uh, all of these shortcomings of the people? Right, and I think Malachi also kind of lets us wonder about when God feels distant, mm-hmm. how is my worship life affected? Sure. Yeah. And so, when those relational questions are there, worship becomes a chore. It becomes a job becomes what do I get out of worship rather yeah. than what what is offered at worship yeah um, and so the sense of like how do we live into that promise 
Um, and it ends kind of leaving us with more questions than answers. Yeah. What's next? Well, do you want to kind of mention what kind of comes next then, biblical timeline-wise? Because it leads to kind of a strange time. <laughs> yeah, and so between um, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, it ends kind of with these weird moments of what's next. Yeah. Uh, you know, it leaves us wondering. And then we hit about a 400-year period where we don't have records, we don't have writings, we don't have a lot of this material that we're kind of hoping for. What's the timeline between Malachi's moment to, you know, essentially the New Testament? Yeah. Um, and so this foretelling of Jesus and these moments. And so we're left in silence. And yeah. as people of God, it leaves you kind of uncomfortable. Um, right. And I think it leaves us kind of wondering about some of these big questions of, well, did God abandon God's people? You know, what happens throughout the course of time and history? Um, and, and what do we know? Yeah. So. Yeah, and so uh, we're going to be touching again with the prophets again this Sunday with a little bit of uh, a more abbreviated uh, background than this, as well as a uh, sermon thinking about the role of, of truth and truth-tellers in, in, our, in our lives. But then uh, next week we'll head in the New Testament. We'll get to Jesus. What if God were one of us? And so uh, that's what's, where we're headed next is into the New Testament with the Gospels and then the letters of Paul. But we thank you for joining us in the prophets and spending some time in these prophets. Yeah. They're good stuff. Dig in. They're fun to, to explore. They're tough to read. I'll be very honest about that. Yeah. Um, and just to spend some time figuring out what is the message for us as people today. Yeah. I think they still speak truth to our current stories. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where it's really interesting to, to engage them. Absolutely. So I hope you'll join us this Sunday uh, for worship either in person at 8.30 or in person or online at 10.30. And that outdoor service has a new location this week down below. So it'll be shaded, which will be very good. And a, a little more intimate where we won't be divided between the two levels of the church, but all, all in one level down there by the river. So And check it's it S'more out. Sunday. And it's S'more Sunday. So you can get S'mores, sing some camp songs. It'll be a great, great time. So. Until then, uh, this Sunday or next week, you take care and we'll see you again soon. Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again and have a great week. Don't take money. Don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love. <laughs>